It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we're going to be joined for parts two and three of the show by PFF's Mike Renner, their lead draft analyst. We will talk a little bit about the PFF process, how it might differ from our process, how it might overlap with our process. And some people are asking about how does PFF evaluate guys like Lynn Bowden, who don't have a true position or move positions How do you go about projecting them when you use the PFF methodology, which we'll get some more insight on from Mike. But before we talk about that news today about draft prospect Zach Bond and how that might shake out with the linebackers. So we're going to spend our first few minutes of the show focusing on some day two linebacker targets. And one of those might be Zach Bond. Joe Adam Schefter today reporting that Zach Bond has a positive test for a diluted sample at the Combine. In a subsequent tweet, he says that NFL teams actually might not care because with the new CVA, this doesn't count as a strike against Zach Bond as it would have in years prior with the general decriminalization of marijuana by the league. Yeah, I think it still will come down to a team by team decision and and evaluation of what they think of that and, you know, how they probably felt about him anyways. It probably won't move you off of drafting him if you felt really good about Zach Bond. But I think if some teams had concerns, well, then they'll allow this to be another strike against him to bypass him when he's on the when they're on the clock. At the very least, I expect that this would hurt his draft stock as an edge rusher because the reason that he gave for being overhydrated that day was to make weight. So he's admitting essentially that he was overinflating his weight by increasing his water retention. He already had weight questions for an edge player. This kind of jives with Dave Lapham saying on the Bengals Booth podcast that Bond might be a late round two target, but it sounds like Lapham is also preparing Bengals fans for a trade back that he expects. So we'll find out pretty shortly whether Dave Lapham is plugged into their draft plans again. Joe, if they trade back or if they targeted linebacker in round three, maybe round two, there's actually a lot of guys that look pretty promising to be NFL starters in that range. Let's talk about a few of them. Why don't you start with a couple of your favorites? Yeah, I really like day two for linebacker, and I think we expect Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma and Patrick Queen from LSU to be off the table at 
pick 33, meaning they're already picked. If they're there, I think it'll be tempting for the Bengals. But if they trade back into round two or wait till 65 to grab a linebacker, I think there's a couple guys that we should really be aware of at the top of the list. And for me, I think it's Willie Gay Jr. and it's Jordan Brooks. And I list those two because we're talking size and speed. Now, Gay's a little different because he looks better in coverage and they get to do more in coverage. But he doesn't have the snaps that Jordan Brooks has. 2,300 snaps for Jordan Brooks, less than a season of Willie Gay. Jordan Brooks is better against the run, a sound, sure tackler that comes with power, but his coverage ability isn't there yet. Doesn't seem to be an issue in terms of can he do it in the future. It's just more of he didn't get to do it as much as you'd like, and he looks a little stiff at times. So those are my top two for targets at 65. There's a couple other names that I think are really interesting that grade out well in our system as well. Malik Harrison from Ohio State graded out really well from PFF. Has a lot of the traits that you're looking for. There's some holes in his tape in terms of where he's asked to perform at Ohio State, what he's asked to do. But he also tested like a great athlete, 95th percentile athlete. Along with him, we've also got really high marks for Logan Wilson out of Wyoming. He was incredibly productive. He's a nearly 90th percentile athlete. The second highest or third highest graded linebacker in the class for pro football focus with good grades in both run defense and coverage even in pass rushing seems like he does it all the knocks on him are he's nearly 24 years old and at wyoming his level of competition was a lot lower so despite doing a lot of things really well there are some question marks for logan wilson but still with the entire profile there are a lot of guys to like here yeah, Wilson might be the most accomplished guy in coverage of this class. And when you think of it that way, he got his hands on the ball often and really would get in passing lanes a lot when you watch him on tape. So I think Wilson makes a lot of sense for a guy that can come in and replace Bynes in the nickel package. And I think if that's what they're really looking for, we're looking at Wilson, we're looking at Willie Gay, and then maybe you start to look at project guys that can do it, guys like Davion Taylor, who was kind of a safety linebacker hybrid that was at the Senior Bowl, also tested really well. I think he will end up being a special teams guy that can maybe do some nickel linebacker stuff. There will also be proponents of Troy Dye, of Marcus Bailey from Purdue. Troy Dye is another guy that graded out really well for PFF, but he didn't test he had a broken hand all year, and some speculates that's why he earned a little bit of a, a soft label, depending on who you ask. But there will certainly be proponents of Troy Dye. I expect him, though, to be a day three guy in the end. Regardless of the direction the Bengals go with this, it feels nice to know that they have a lot of options at linebacker and don't need to make a panic pick. And I hope that they've learned that lesson from previous years. The only other guy I really want to mention is Akeem Davis-Gaither. And obviously, they had him at the senior bowl. Right, we should have mentioned him already. But he comes out a little low in our system because he's small. Um, you know, you're coming from a small school. I still like him a lot. I, and I wish he would have tested. Had he have tested, I'd expect he would be a 90th percentile athlete. He got to play a lot of 3-4 outside linebacker for Appalachian State. Rushed the passer 190 times last year. But he also drops into coverage and gets to do more coverage responsibilities than half of these guys we're talking about. So he has the athleticism to do it. He's got the experience doing it, and he can also be versatile. I still really like Akeem Davis-Gaither at pick 65. Really good pass rusher, too, which fits, again, we've talked about a lot. Lou Anaruma looking for these versatile pieces that can move around. We have PFF Mike coming on next, though. We'll ask him maybe about Akeem Davis-Gaither. I, I think that 
in my conversations with Mike to this point, he thinks that we've seen enough from a lot of these guys to have pretty good ideas of what they're going to be in the pros, which I had questions about, especially for Willie Gay, but he is sold. Willie Gay is a higher coverage grade in this class than Isaiah Simmons did. So that's a lot. We got PFF Mike on, the lead draft analyst for PFF, next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, today we've got on with us the, as I said, most eligible lead draft analyst from Pro Football Focus, which, Mike, I know you're sick of the Bachelor jokes, but I can't resist. (laughs) I'll Uh, take the new addition to my title. Yeah, well, you you beat out the competition. And we want to talk with you about some stuff about the PFF draft evaluation process, about some specific players, and maybe we should start, this This all came about because last week I sent you a question about Willie Gay, and I thought, is there a small sample size concern with Willie Gay? You said no. You're You're pretty strong in your convictions that he's a very good coverage linebacker. Where do those small sample caveats apply? Because he hardly really played this year, right? Yeah, so that is the thing. He got suspended eight games this year between cheating on a chemistry test and punching his quarterback in the face before the bowl hmm. game. So those that's a double whammy. Uh, not great, obviously. Some off-field to vet. But uh, yeah, 293 coverage snaps in his career and, and was mainly a sub-package guy. I, I mean, I don't think he was ever fully listed as a starter for Mississippi State. So always a sub-package guy. But again, a sub-package guy is almost like easier to deduce his ability and coverage because he's facing, you know, coverage sort of uh, coverage looks. He's facing, you know, spread more spread looks when he is out there. So I just think that is about a full season's worth of coverage snaps. Like Patrick Queen, that's about as many as he saw as a starter. Queen probably had a little bit more by the end of the year. But still, that's that's enough to deduce. And it's yes, it's like kind of like one year wonder e to say that, but at at the same time, he has the physical tools that you believe in with that, you know, combine the production with the physical tools. And all of a sudden it's like, you can kind of forgive the fact that it's a smaller sample size at this point. I like to do comparisons. And while I don't have a good comparison for Willie Gate linebacker, but I kind of think of a situation like Elvin Kamara at Tennessee, where he tested really well. You go back and you're like, man, he, why, why wasn't he more? How wasn't he used more? Now, some of that may have been self-induced for Willie Gate, but Who's your pro comp for Willie Gay as a linebacker? Yeah, that's a really good point. It's that at some point you kind of start to forgive the fact that you haven't seen it a lot when it's that elite. Like everything we saw was elite enough that from Alan Kamara that you probably should have been on board and saw, seen this coming. Comp for Willie Gay is tough. I can't even remember now who I put in the draft guide. Uh, gosh, who was I it? I got it you. Was Darren it's, Lee I put. Oof. It's, it's former Bengal Thomas Howard. Oh, was it? Oh, I changed it at, at the end. Good, because I didn't like the Darren Lee one. I put that in the preseason draft guide. Thomas Howard. Yes, so just the speed aspect there, the ability to cover ground. I think Thomas Howard was also a 4-4 guy uh, mm-hmm. coming out. That 
that's that's the biggest thing you see with them. The instincts, the sort of you know ability to read stuff between the tackles, a work in progress, but that's to be expected with a guy who just like barely played. So, but the ability to then kind of, as Chris Ballard says, uh, make up the ability to make up even when you're wrong to make the plays. Uh, he has that, and I think that's the biggest thing uh, that the Bengals don't have at the moment is guys who can make up for being wrong. So let's stick with linebacker. I think this day two and probably seep into the early day three with fourth, fifth round guys, I think the linebacker class is really good and maybe underrated by a lot of people. Um, who do you like besides Willie Gay, and who do you think could come in and step in? Bengals maybe need a starter now. If it's if it's Bynes and, and Pratt, I think that's what they're expecting, but – they may need a nickel guy to replace Bynes for that package. Yeah, I the more I watched this linebacking class, the more I was like, God, they got a lot of there's a lot of guys who are athletic and I think have the sort of quote unquote traits to cover at the NFL level that you can trust in coverage. So in that range, you know, third round, I think Akeem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State fits that bill. Another guy who's like a weird projection because he played edge at Appalachian State like he rushed the passer 200 times this past season at, off the edge like against offensive tackles and he's only 220 pounds I don't know odd scheme there but those guys play those guys can rush the passer in college and he actually graded out really well as a pass rusher and has all the athleticism to cover but kind of had a very limited role and that he's just like spot dropping into the slot there when he was so and he couldn't see a lot from that but he does have the athleticism so I would I would take a chance on him in the third round, 67th player on our board. I really like the guy who I ha- hasn't been talked about enough in my mind is Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech. I actually have him right next to Kenneth Murray on our draft board. Uh, he's two spots behind, and I think they're similar players. Like downhill, attacking forward, they are elite. They are explosive athletes. They, Brooks probably even more so than Murray in terms of plays against the run, like playing between the tackles, mm-hmm. blowing up offensive linemen. Murray's a little better in space at this point in his career. Uh, already and is also younger but Brooks I mean if you want a thumper between the tackles who can also you know shut down the flats and like make plays in zone coverage in front of them I, I think Jordan Brooks is your guy in that class so those are two guys in that sort of probably early third round or you know top of the third round that I would I would be willing to attack there yeah it's actually interesting we talked about the day two linebacker guys that we might like because we have our own draft process where we go with grades and we incorporate athleticism we use your grades as well to inform our final scores and the guys that come out looking like they can do it at that point willie gay malik harrison logan wilson who i want to get your take on logan wilson a little bit and and maybe the argument against malik harrison because again from an athleticism perspective from a from a production perspective those two guys look like they would really fit the bill as well yeah, so I there I'm lower on those two. I just with Harrison, so he has a lot of the same concerns I have with Kenneth Murray, but just not the elite level of athleticism. He is in in Ohio State scheme, so they like almost I think 97 percent of their snaps last year in coverage were either cover one or cover three. And so when they ran cover one, man, he would be the whole player and like not have a coverage responsibility. They would just you know he'd be the guy they funnel the coverage into and the underneath. And then when it was cover three, he's just kind of spot dropping eyeing QB. Like he didn't have, he wasn't asked to do a lot in terms of you know, diverse coverage responsibility that you want to see from a linebacker. And so I just worry about that. And he's good, more than good enough athleticism for the position, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him up there with, 
you know, Akeem Davis Gaither, Willie Gay, Patrick Queen, any of the guys who are real smooth and have that burst. He's just he's just all around solid athlete. So I'm just a little more hesitant to put him up there with those sort of concerns on tape. Wilson has similar sort of uh, athletic profile. Big dude. I really liked him as a blitzer. Uh, really liked him in the run game, but I just didn't think, uh, he, like I said, I put him in the uh, about the exact same area on the draft board. 102 for Harrison, 110 for Wilson. Uh, I just didn't think in terms of his lateral agility was up to snuff in the NFL. Like if you caught him in space with a guy in front of him, I, th- I thought he was going to get exposed uh, a little too often. Whereas, like I said, Jordan Brooks, Kenneth Murray, that's where they going forward, making those plays on running backs is easy for them. I didn't see that being necessarily as much of the case for Wilson. So let's shift gears then, because I don't think the pick at 33 is going to be a linebacker. It feels like there's a little bit of a gap between, I think, what's expected of of Queen and Murray going in round one. Now, if one of them are there, it might be considered. And then the next gap of maybe it's Willie Gay is the next guy, Jordan Brooks, and so on. Uh, those guys may go 45 and later in the draft. So I think there's a, there's a little range there. Then they may go offensive line or wide receiver. And I think... It's interesting, the offensive linemen that are going to be there. And I, and I kind of think that the Bengals should probably take a guy that could play right guard this year and then move out to right tackle if he beats out Bobby Hart, if that's the case, either this year or next year. Are there any guys like that that you like in the range for late first that maybe slip in round two or maybe round two guys that, you know, would fit the bill and then take them there? I think you got to be praying for Josh Jones to fall down mm-hmm. the boards. The Houston tackle in terms of. Being able to do that, I mean, I'd probably start my right tackle right away with how valuable tackle is and just who Bobby Hart is in general. But right. uh, I think that is the dream. But I think that's also the dream for a few teams in front of them that, uh, you know, someone like the Packers, uh, probably even like the Chiefs, uh, some, some of those teams, the 49ers could even use a Joe Staley replacement in time for a similar sort of transition. So I, I, I'm not sure he falls all the way there when it's all said and done. After that, it's kind of slim pickings. I don't love the value at 33, but my next like best tackle that I would say that could feasibly be there would be someone like Ben Barch from St. John's, but I bet he's more of a third rounder in this class just because small school. Yeah, he looked really good at Senior Bowl, but that's even even Ali Marpet, who looked about as good at Senior Bowl, um, was tested off the charts athletically, still went like 40th, I want to say. like He wasn't still at the top of the first. Uh, second round sort of guy when he came out. So I'm not sure there's going to be great value in that position there. I know some people like Isaiah Wilson back into the first to, as a guard tackle sort of in between guy. He's just so, he's so slow and he is not a scheme fit for the Bengals. So I, I think you can almost throw him off their board in terms of what they do offensively. Uh, I have a couple of questions that I want to follow up with there because Jim Turner loves these huge guys, and I wouldn't be surprised if he loves Isaiah Wilson because he is 6'6", 360 with 35 and a half inch arms. And so the one question I was going to ask before you mentioned the scheme fit thing was going to be about Jonah Williams and where he would rank among your top tackles this year as compared with where he went last year as a top tackle available because for us he comes out a little bit lower than at least the top three guys. But then I want to I want to get your take on what scheme you think Isaiah Wilson is appropriate for. So uh, yeah, so Jonah Williams, I'd probably slot him in as a, as a big big fan of Jonah Williams. I would slot him in. Oh, man, it's so tough. So Thomas Worth's Wills is how we rank him right now. I'd probably slot him in. God, I'd probably slot him in between Worth and Wills. I just feel mm-hmm. like he's 
more of a sure thing in pass pro than Wills. I, I don't know. I really like him in pass pro. I really, and it wasn't just the fact that, you know, he was good at Alabama. It was almost the personality sold us at PFF in terms of like the preparation, how he, you know, has an Excel sheet of every move, every pass rush against of the guy he's going the moves he did on on every play that sort of thing like the preparation that to me is what it takes to succeed at the nfl level it's not only the physical tools and not only being able to do it uh but also the consistency to you know game plan like that so that to me i'd probably slot him in there um the scheme fit isaiah wilson i think he needs to go to a place that is run heavy like a Run play action heavy, obviously like Orlando Brown, where he went in the Ravens would be an ideal scenario. Like he needs to get his hands on guys early in the snap to win. If he's out in space and has to locate a guy, you know, like it, like you go to a Tampa Bay and you're rolling deep dropbacks, it's just not going to work out. He's going to be exposed. His athleticism, he just doesn't have it. I mean, over eight three cone, over five short shuttle. So you want him in a scheme that's really going to, you know, use tight ends a lot. That's going to let him get his, let him sort of cut down that space between him and the edge rusher, and then he can survive at tackle. Because when he does, you know, he gets hands on guys. Like I said, you're not getting off of them, but like the athleticism is a real, real concern with Wilson. We've covered a couple positions so far. We're going to hit wide receiver and talk about some process questions coming up next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are joined by Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus talking draft as we are within, what what is it, nine days now? Oh, man, that gets exciting, huh? Joe Burrow for the Bengals, nine days from now. But I think one position that's maybe underrated nationally is of a need for the Bengals, but I think a lot of people that watch the team and, and cover them are saying receiver, and they probably should get one with the you know unknowns of John Ross and A.J. Green going forward. And when you want to surround Joe Burrow with talent. So I think we could probably see one at 33. One of the guys that most Bengals fans are pointing at is Denzel Mims. And if there's a guy that's won the offseason or the uh, draft process, it's Mims. Because he probably went from a late second round guy uh, based on film to, I wouldn't be surprised if he went like 18, 19, 20 in the draft. And where do you fall on Mims and then your take on the class and maybe who are your favorites? So I have gone, I vacillated on Mims a little too much. Uh, it's probably irresponsibly over the past you know four months because I didn't like his tape. Like his tape at Baylor is legitimately does not measure up to one, what we saw at senior bowl, what we saw at the combine. It just does not look, he's not that sudden out of off the line of scrimmage out of his breaks. I mean, he just doesn't have a lot of high level reps on his tape in terms of separation. He, he has some incredible like circus catches that shows obviously, but the separation aspect and the after the catch sort of aspect is not there like it is for some of the other guys in his class. So I was low on the tape. Then at the senior ball, it just no one could hold his jock. And now some of that was he's just pushing off left and right, and there's no flags throwing, and a lot of those look like OPIs in retrospect. But, like, he had the highest grade we've ever given to a guy in the senior bowl one-on-ones, just utterly dominant, you know, running past Troy Pride, who was a former track star, those sort of things uh, are all very impressive, and they, you know, test off charts of the combine. 
So that's going to, that bumped him up our boards a little bit, but he's still, I think, eighth receiver on our board. I want to say just because you can't square, you know, 15 reps over the course of the three days of the senior bowl. is not going to completely convince me about a guy's prospects in the NFL level. Like you gotta, you gotta put it game to game consistency on tape. Why didn't we see that on tape? I, I don't know, but I, I'm going to be hesitant just because we did not see that same guy on tape uh, game in and game out. So I think he ended up 36th on our final draft board. And like I said, actually he's lower than eighth. I'm looking right now. Uh, he's around like 10th on our board at the wide receiver position. Yeah. So if the Bengals don't go wide receiver at 33, which seems like every time I've done a PFF draft simulator run, it seems like they really want me to take a wide receiver there, <laughs> whoever it is that falls. If it's T Higgins, if it's, if it's Pittman, if it's Ayuk. Who are the guys you like maybe on day three? It looks like you guys are really high on Jawan Jennings, Tyler Johnson compared to, and even KJ Hill compared to consensus. Yeah. The slot wide receiver. I mean, as you guys know, is a starter like Tyler Boyd Mm -hmm. uh, is a starter in in the NFL and can go for a thousand yards. And so if you're crafty and are capable in the slot, like those three guys you just mentioned, Tyler Johnson, Jawan Jennings, KJ Hill, you can see you can see you know over 100 targets in the NFL, and so uh, I like all those guys on day three. I think the majority of them, Tyler Johnson, might end up round three, maybe, but I think they all probably end up on day three. So that would make a ton of sense for them. Um, and like you said, it's a sneaky need because one, there's a lot of reasons why. One, the learning curve is massive for rookies. It's going to be even more massive with coronavirus this off season and maybe not having a full. Uh, workout is sort of being getting these guys up to speed before the season starts. Uh, and two, because you just, you have the number one overall pick. You're not winning it. Like you're not going from number one overall pick to winning a Super Bowl overnight. Unfortunately, sorry to break it to Bengals fans out there, but just like you have to be realistic and not play not draft solely for this year. And so the value is going to be at wide receiver. That's how deep this class is. It's so good. So the value is probably going to be the most there. And so you can afford to redshirt a guy this year at that position. And so I would, me personally, I would go after someone like T Higgins would be a guy I target there. Michael Pittman jr. Because that's kind of the AJ green replacement in that offense. Uh, that again, AJ green, one year deal, uh, the franchise tag, not getting any younger. Don't know how long he's going to be around. That to me is who I would target as his replacement at this point. Uh, so that you don't miss a beat when the day comes that he's not a Bengal. So Mike, the Bengals did a lot of, they were active in this offseason. I don't even know how to even ask this because they yes. never do this. They signed players. They made moves. It's weird. We've Jake and I, we've gotten excited about it, but we've also looked at the negative aspect of going for a nose tackle, Trey Waynes. Eh, um, you know, but yeah. we're happy that they're actually being aggressive. Well, what's your feeling on what they did? Are, are they did they improve themselves enough to get out of the basement for, for a team picking number one? Did they make enough moves to you think that, you know, getting Joe Burrow and should be maybe even as a rookie should be an upgrade at quarterback. What are we looking at? What are the expectations? I think so. Uh, and obviously it depends on how quickly Joe Burrow sort of translates and, you know, picks up speed of the NFL, but I, I believe they did. Now I question Trey Wayne's move. Uh, if that's even an upgrade over Trey Kirkpatrick at this point. Um, and Obviously, paying a nose tackle is not probably where I'd want to be investing if I'm building a team, but there's no doubt it upgraded that position. So, uh, and I think the other thing is this was not, this probably wasn't the worst team in the NFL last year. They kind of artificially got it by starting Ryan Finley for a handful of games. Mm. Uh, But I do think 
I don't think realistic expectations are getting back to like a seven and nine, eight and eight for this team. I don't think this year is the year completely turns around, but I wouldn't, if you told me they did, it wouldn't surprise me. Like they, they have enough talent there that if you just hit on Burrow quick out the gate and hit on maybe one other guy in this draft to make an impact right away and obviously get Jonah Williams and the pass protection right, I, I think you have a legit shot of you know, competing in the AFC North. Is it crazy to expect Burrow as a rookie to be better than what Andy Dalton was last year? No, because Dalton was pretty rough last year. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't think that's crazy to expect because you'll have a lot better you know, situation around him. You'll have AJ Green. You'll have pass protection. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. You'll have pass protection. Uh, you'll have a, a lot more. You'll, you'll have year two of that scheme sort of thing, guys, up to speed. So I do think there's a lot uh, pointing to he could hit the ground, sort of running to some degree. I just hope that they make the adjustments that make sense for Joe Burrow and use some of the five widespread stuff that we saw him so successful with at LSU, especially with the data that backs up that, you know, NFL teams have an easier time pass protecting when they only have five guys on the line. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about process to close things out. Who are the biggest movers for you late in the process between draft guide 2.2 or 2.3 was it to 3.0 and what causes late movement for the way you go about putting your board together. So it had been solely my board and solely my opinion up until this final board. Like it was just whatever I thought, <laughs> which is nice, which is cool. But I, I, so that was just my takes on players. And then for this last one, we had a couple meetings with me, Austin Gale, who's the co-host of my podcast, two for one drafts podcast. Steve was on it. Steve Elzolo and also Eric eager, our analytics, one of our analytics guys, basically giving input in terms of like they highlighted a bunch of guys this guy should move up this guy should move down i'm x on this and then we made arguments we talked about it and then that's how you got to see this final board uh the way it is it's not not that i you know had some sort of drastic change of heart it's that i care about there are people's opinions who on prospects that i legitimately you know trust and will care about and will use to impact my how i view players and so uh, i think that's an important part of this process is not, you know, purely putting your, locking yourself away and, you know, in a room and sort of like black boxing it and then coming out with the rankings and then not adjusting them. I, I, I think taking input and second guessing yourself and that sort of thing, having a second opinion is a very, can, can be very helpful to a final draft board. So that's how we ended up with this. So you guys have grades for all these prospects, you know, during the college football season. And then I imagine you're looking at them through a different lens, you know, as a projection. What are their traits? What are, you know, what will transfer to the next level? How do you balance the grade that they receive throughout the year versus what you see on tape in terms of traits? And, and how do you say, like, well, I got to break a tie between a couple of these guys. Will you lean more on what you saw on film or lean towards the grades more? Yeah, I think you want to. One of the biggest things that we talk about uh, on our podcast is how the grade was kind of made up. So you can be a really good linebacker. You can be super productive. You can be Evan Weaver at Cal Mm -hmm. and just spot drop and completely just play between the tackles every play and just, you know, make tackle after tackle on running backs in that regard. And and you'll earn a good grade because that's, you know, you're being a productive football player within that scheme. But then you can be asked to cover a running back going out to the flat and not touch him. And, and the guy like that who consists and that only that might be one play or two plays that you see all year on tape. But if 
that's well, when you get to the NFL level, that's going to multiply to 25 plays a year on 20 plays a year on tape, that sort of thing. Like you have to project what that role that this guy's going to play at the next level is going to be compared to what he did in college and what has more value. And it's the guy who's not going to allow that big play on that flat route that has more value than the guy who's going to just rack up, you know, one or two yard gains in the run game. So uh, that's sort of, Every position has a sort of thing or an area where you want to see a guy win that you trust will be more impactful at the next level. Um, and that, that's that's what we kind of then value is that aspect of the grade, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily just for, like, say, an offensive tackle, not necessarily just a down block on power. Oh, he, you know, down block, down power, great. He's not a first-round tackle just because he has an elite grade in that regard. Mm. Is that Maybe what happened with Tavon Coney last year, I remember that the grade on him was really high, and then, you know, he, he just didn't have the athleticism to make it in the NFL. Yeah, so he was a 4'8 guy at his yeah. pro day, and that's just anything, you know, 4'7'5 and below, the state yeah. linebacker, that might as well be over a 4'6 at corner. You're just kind of behind the eight ball. You're going to be, you have to go to a role that's not going to, you know, a super limited role at that point then, so... Yeah, I do think that that is something that we've tried and tried to uh, identify better over the course of, you know, from our first college football, you know, prospect rankings to now. So my last question then is how do you incorporate it after that? So you have your grades for the season, you know how to dissect them and value them, you, you put on the tape, and then we get the testing and the athletic measurements. How does that influence your grade at the end? Yeah, so... I'm not sure. So like the Denzel Mims thing, we kind of just touched on seeing him capable of something that, you know, Baylor didn't ask him to run a diverse route tree. They, mm-hmm. they didn't ask him to cut much laterally uh, and, and seeing him run a six, 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 three cone means he can cut laterally pretty good and pretty sharply. So it shows sometimes I, I will use it pretty much only for that sort of thing where if like, you really haven't seen a guy do it much. Uh, yeah, I think there can be value in that. And also just if a guy really is an athletic outlier on the low end, that's, you know, death knell. Like if you really are a poor, poor athlete, uh, I'm not going to be willing to take the chance on you, you know, first two rounds in the draft. That sounds a lot like our process, Joe. We we have our tape and trait grades that mostly Joe puts together and then we talk about. I'm, I'm mostly there as a sanity check, I think, for your tape grades, Joe. <laughs> But yeah. then we incorporate your PFF grades and your PFF board. We incorporate production scores from the guys that do that analytic work like James Coburn. And then we incorporate mm-hmm. the athletic profile. And we try to put all that together to essentially come up with a risk assessment kind of informed final board. Does that sound similar to your process at all? Or what's the big difference for you? No, yeah. So I, I, we don't take guys off completely it'll just be lower on them to where yeah, that's the same for it's yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah. And, and that's the thing is minimizing risk. And one of the guys we've pointed to in this draft class, Mackay Becton or two guys, Mackay Becton and Caleb on chase on where it's just like, they didn't produce in the area you want to see a guy produce at the college level. Yeah. Now that's not saying they won't at the pro level. It's just saying, uh, I'm not going to take that risk of, you know, maybe he figures it out because it's such like there's, there is still such, there is still skill. Like it's, you you can't just, you can't just shoot like Steph Curry. If you practice hard enough, some of that is innate, you know, some of that you get, you either got or you don't. And so if you haven't seen it from a guy, we don't know for sure. So that, that's my sort of biggest, yeah, that, that that's sort of, so I guess we're on the same page in that regard. 
Well, I'm glad to hear we're at least doing something the way the guys in the big leagues are doing it. And I don't appreciate you shattering my NBA dreams live on my podcast. I'm going to go. You've been shooting a lot. You've been putting up a few hundred a day now, the quarantine and yourself. Yeah, I'm going to go stab my basketball and uh, let all the air go out of that dream. I guess at 31, it was and never going to happen. Eight. I'm six foot, man. Five, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm five eleven and three quarters. I think I'm shrinking. I did want to ask one more question, Mike. If you have a quick answer for this, that'd be awesome. If you don't, then we can let it ride. I want to just ask a listener question we got. He was wondering when you have guys that play different positions than where they're expected to be in the NFL, and he's a UK fan, so he uses the example of Lim Bowden. How do you go about the process differently for those position transitions? Yeah, that one, those are always tough. And, and Lynn Bowden, thankfully, you got to see a lot of him, you know, run kind of between the tackles concepts as a, now it was as a quarterback, but you saw a lot of the same stuff. So uh, you did get to see that, but it's always difficult, say like corner to safety or vice versa. You kind of just, and, and that's when it's, your, that's, that's basically kind of what the NFL does is they are scouting traits, the physical sort of tools that you see on the field. A guy I, saw last year that I had that sort of take for was Marvell tell. He was a safety for USC, not a good safety. I didn't think, but he was long he was really fast. He had a really good change of direction ability. Uh, and I thought, Hey, this guy probably can pl- with those skills can probably play corner. And I don't hate him as a deep safety, but like when he did get manned up, when he actually had to like mirror a guy, that's when he was at his best. It was more like being able to read routes and sort of do the things the safety has to do that he was bad at. So that's what I was saying. I think he ends up at cornerback in the NFL and lo and behold, Colts draft him. Now he's a cornerback for the Colts. So I do think there is some sort of uh, seeing the, uh, that is more purely based on the, like the old school scouting method. There's really no way to sort of, you know, use our grades or any of the stats we collect to help you in that regard. Hey, fair enough. Sometimes you got to do things the way that it was mm-hmm. done once. And the Colts, speaking of the Colts, they've been doing pretty well in the draft, I'd say, the last well, couple so of years. One of the interesting things about one of the interesting new additions to the draft guide this year was the draft capital allocations that mm. are based off of uh, what the analytics say, how much how much every single pick in the draft is worth. And if you go look at the Colts and their draft capital allocation, it is incredible how much they've invested in linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties uh, over the past five years of drafting. Uh, they're, you know, they've just thrown picks and picks and picks and traded back and accumulated more draft capital in our eyes and thrown a lot of resources at it, just seeing what sticks. Like they've drafted, uh, you know, they've drafted cornerbacks when they didn't even need cornerbacks and that sort of thing. And, and linebackers, when they didn't need linebackers. Like they just throw capital at it to see. And so I think that is kind of why you've seen their defense Uh, evolve into this that it's been well mike we really appreciate the time and the insight into your individual evaluations into the pff draft process go check out the pff draft guide go subscribe to pff if you listen to this podcast you know that we use their data and their insights regularly you can check out mike's podcast the two for one drafts podcast and you can find him at twitter uh on twitter at pff underscore mike Until next time, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.